This episode of the podcast is brought to you by my company, Horns of Odin. Now this week saw us release our brand new clothing range. It's our spring range. And what we've done with this collection is we've tried to put together a bunch of garments that you can wear no matter what the weather. We've got a bunch of new t-shirts. These ones I really like. We've got a Berserker Spirit t-shirt and an Ulfadin Spirit t-shirt. And what these are is that they've got a warrior in the middle and then behind the warrior you've got the spirit of the animal that they're embodying. So behind the Berserker you've got a bear and behind the Ulfadin you've got a wolf. Um, alongside that, for those of you who like something a little bit more simple, we've got just a logo t-shirt. So it's our logo on the left-hand side and that comes in a heather neve and a woodland heather. And these t-shirts are 100% organic recycled cotton. Then we've got a new jogging pant which come in the men's and the women's and we've also got a hoodie. So these are all in black with our logo embroidered on them. Again, with the hoodie, we're trying to keep in that theme of keeping things sustainable. So that's made from 85% organic cotton and 15% uh, recycled polyester. And it's um, Global Organic Treaty certified and also Fair Weather Foundation certified. And finally, I think my favorite item from this launch is we've got a brand new 100% cotton jumper. Now, this jumper is absolutely perfect for me. You can wear it on its own or you can layer it up and have a t-shirt under it and throw that on top for that little bit of extra warmth. It's really comfortable, it's really soft. Like I said, it's 100% cotton. Uh, the men's one comes in black and a beautiful olive color. And then we do a women's one, which comes in a lovely navy color as well. So yeah, just pop over to the website and check them out. Don't forget, you get that extra 10% discount off anything store-wide for listening to the podcast and for supporting the podcast. Just use Horns10 at checkout and you can get 10% off anything. Thanks for listening. Let's jump into the show. Welcome to the Nordic Mythology Podcast. I'm Daniel Farron, co-owner of the company Horns of Odin, and I'm joined, as always, by Dr. Matthias Nordvik. Hello, everyone. Now, this time we have a very special guest. We have Sol Gerstotir uh, from the band Verlospau, a Norwegian sort of like, um, not reenacting, reincarnating band. Isn't that what, <laughs> what the description is here? Oh, yeah, that's what my Instagram says, at least. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I'm really happy to, to join you guys. Yeah, thank you very much. Um, yeah, I've I've had your music on all afternoon in the workshop whilst I've been working away, and I even I, I took the time to send you a message because you're you have a particularly beautiful voice. It's so it seems very effortless in its in its flow. Um, like it, sometimes I think it can seem forced with other people, where you seem very much. I guess it's like a natural voice. Wow, that's a really I, that's a grand compliment. Uh, that's a way of describing voices that I particularly enjoy myself. So I, I really appreciate it. Um, I'll be, I've been singing my whole life. So, yeah. Okay. Have you always <laughs> done, done this style of singing or did you used to do more, I guess, quote unquote, normal music? Yeah, well, you know, I, I love all sorts of music, really. Um, but I started with uh, classically training. Uh, so I, I took lessons from uh, an opera singer, a, a man actually, um, and 
from then on, I uh, went to a folk high school called Voss Folk High School. It's a Norwegian thing. I don't know if you guys have it in Britain, but um, it's like a year off kind of or a year to indulge in music. So there I, I learned the art of kveding, which is a traditional way of singing uh, from, from Old Norse culture or Old Norwegian culture, I should rather say, because we don't know what Viking music really sounded like. And I've also uh, spent a lot of years just training myself in uh, rhythmical singing. I, I know that I sounded like a goat for many years because uh, we... <laughs> In, in my parents' house, we had a lady who rented the downstairs um, apartment and she came up several times and she was like, is someone dying in your house? Are you guys okay? Should I call the police? And that was me trying to sing. So I guess I have approved based on your feedback. <laughs> I, I, I should hope so. I think she might need to clean her ears. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that's the most offensive thing you could ever say to somebody who is singing as well. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, I didn't give horse shit about it. I just kept on going because I knew uh, from reading up on how to train your voice that you're going to sound like like a dead goat uh, trying to force itself up from the grave again for a couple of years. And then you will get to where you want to be. I'm loving that image. <laughs> the dead goat trying to force itself up to the grave. <laughs> I'm feeling that, ray, that, that little glimmer of hope that maybe I could be a singer one day. <laughs> Can you can? I mean, everybody can learn how to sing. It's all about technique. Really. I don't know about that. <laughs> <laughs> You've heard my talking voice. Imagine what my singing voice is like. <laughs> I, I find that many people can have very different voices when they sing, uh, as mm -hmm. to when they speak. I don't know what you think about my voice when I speak. Does it sound like me singing? I no, I wouldn't say it sounds like you singing, but I wouldn't say you have quite a as harsh voice as say I would. <laughs> <laughs> Well, harsh can be good. Remember that. I guess. I, I guess. Um, <laughs> so do you notice much in the way of the classical training helping out with what you do now going into kind of like more, I guess like you say more folk or Norwegian kind of old Norwegian music? Well, definitely. I mean, um, classically, our classical music is all about rules, really. And you learn how to place your voice in, in terms of uh, purity, I guess you could call it, uh, like hitting the, the right note. Um, but learning what I learned in classical training, I also learned how to break the rules. And that's kind of what I'm doing now, because I like the artistic freedom of being more uh, in tune with your natural uh, vibes, so to speak, when you uh, when you sing a traditional way. I don't know if that makes sense at all, but yeah, it makes sense to me. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I I think it does. Does it make sense to you, Matthias? I look, man. I I can hardly keep like a beat. Like, I, I am so not musical at all <laughs> for some weird reason. I don't know why. I guess, I guess again, it might come down to training. But I, I feel like I understand what you're saying. <laughs> okay. Well, I, I like to talk in images, so I might pull something out of my arse. And <laughs> yeah, go for it. <laughs> no, I, I like to, like, explain things in images as well. And, like, uh, so, so, no, I get that. I, I, I very much appreciate that. 
Oh yeah, it's it's a clear difference between classical music and and kväding because when you sing classical music, you kind of place the the tone in your head, like coming through your third eye, so to speak. And when you perform the art of kväding, you you kind of use chest voice, so you place uh, the tonality from here. Okay. That's the difference. Yeah. And also in classical music, you you use a lot of vibrato. Um, and you don't necessarily do that in Kvedding, or you shouldn't. But, you know, artistic freedom and me, that kind of goes hand in hand. Of course. I, yeah, I think there's no hard and fast rule to anything. Anything like this, it's all about expression. Mm-hmm, I think so, too. Um, I said one thing I did notice, or I, that I would have said that your music definitely has like a folk feel to it, I guess. Um almost kind of reminded me a little bit of Fawn as well with that very kind of folky style, which I really enjoyed. Is that something you intended or just happened naturally? I know you've mentioned you you did like a folk school, you trained that. Well, yeah, some of the, the songs are actually uh, old folk songs uh, from medieval times that we kind of just arranged ourselves. Um, but yeah, it's definitely something that I just keep in, in the back of my mind at all times whenever I write music, because I get a lot of inspiration from the old ways of doing it, uh, even as when it comes to just writing the lyrics that it rhymes uh, with letters and not necessarily by words. Uh, so it's kind of embedded in me and I can't seem to escape it. <laughs> well, nothing wrong with that. So I know you said obviously we don't know what like the music would sound like in the viking age Mm -hmm. so how how do you go about trying to recreate that or at least get as close to what your interpretation of it would be and also i guess what do we know of what music would have sounded like back then i guess maybe we know instruments to to a degree yeah, we do know some instruments to a, to a degree. Um, so what do I do to make it kind of, hmm. you know, um, we mix a lot of different instruments because uh, we use electrical instruments as well as mm-hmm. wide selection of folk instruments. Yeah. Find me for those of you listening and who can't see me. Um, so it's kind of a mashup between the old ways and modern times. And that's what I'm all about as a person as well. And I think that's how you make a culture uh, not only survive, but thrive and find its new form. So for me, it's not about being as, um, as close to what Viking music might have sounded like. It's more about taking elements from, uh, from what we know, like using a kravikliere, which is not exactly dated in the Viking age, but pretty as close as we get. <laughs> mm, and then uh, adding layers of just modern things on top of that. Uh, and as well, I take a lot of inspiration when it comes to the lyrics from from the Eddas and from what's written and and what we know. So, yeah, I don't know if I just talked myself away here. I tend to do that sometimes. So if I do that, just uh, pull me back in. (laughs) I think it makes uh, perfect sense. Um, There's, yeah, we don't have that much knowledge of like exactly how, what music was, how music was uh, used and what it sounded like in, in, in say like the Viking age, we get a little more 
information through through the uh, written material from the medieval period. I think the oldest actual song that we can identify as a song that's written down is from the Codex Vonicus from um, from uh, uh, Scania, um, so the Danish area. Um, it's that little uh, ditty, Drömte mein Drum. Which like the Danish national TV has been using as their jingle for for like the decades, um, so so like and that's from 1300. So that's like the uh, earliest like actual song, right? Then we can talk about like what uh, what was it like singing the uh, um, Eddic poetry, for instance, and that's you know what we see some musicians are working with in different ways and and figuring out and also proving that it is quite uh, easy actually to sing it once you like you've 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 learned the poetry um so so i mean i, I would say that the eddic poetry is another example of like uh possible music that actually existed in one form or, or another question is like what kinds of instruments and so on um and that always comes down to, you know, some some cranky ar- archaeologists saying, well, we haven't found anything. They're like, yeah, sure, guys, but they they, they must have had. <laughs> like, as we were talking with Heilung about, right, that they must have had drums. Like, they must have had drums. There's no culture on this planet that didn't have drums. We just haven't found any. <laughs> so, so, Matthias, I guess I've never really got my head around this. Do we just have, like, no, nothing from the Vikings to suggest that they played music? I I guess I I've always just been of their mind of like, of course they would have done that. I just assumed they had like loads of instruments and. Well, the problem is that we don't find anything in the uh, in 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 like archaeological remains. I, I think there's one instance of of a of a lure or something like that. I can't even remember. Uh, maybe a flute, <laughs> like, <laughs> and that's it, right? Um, I just naively assumed that we just had shitloads. No, and we don't. There was just <laughs> loads, and, and it was just common knowledge that they just would have played no, a bunch of different music, and that's just. It's I think the same with shields. Like it's the same with shields. We don't have that many shields, uh, mm-hmm. or I think we've only found one one actual shield. What we really usually find uh, is just a band, uh, usually made of metal, that holds the shield together, because everything else has uh, uh, disappeared and it hasn't been preserved that well. And that's the same, like instruments. They're you know, uh, intricate uh, designs. They're, they, it, it, it's not you know a big piece of wood, for instance, that can persist for a very long time in the ground. So they they simply disappear quicker, right? And that's that's one of the issues. Um, but of course, I mean, there are different ways you can approach history as well. Uh, the 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 theoretical position that says, "Oh, we don't know anything about instruments," is like the positivist. Uh, pr- approach to history um, that would basically say, well, you can only say um, uh, something about that time period if, if like, you have uh, uh, proper sources that can authenticate that that particular thing existed in that time period, right? Um, there are other ways that we can approach this as well, and we can say, for instance, look, you can see that the hundred years later we are finding these instruments or we have evidence of this and that type of singing or something like that so there's a chance that this could have existed back then as well um so there's like different ways that you can approach this but obviously i mean singing um drumming uh string instruments are such a 
like old elements of uh, European culture in general, that it would be weird if that particular corner of Europe didn't have it, <laughs> where everybody else did, right? There's something called nothing is new under the sun. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't is that an English saying or is it just... No, yeah, you know it is. Yeah, because that's one of the things with me. Um, I believe that everything moves in circles mm-hmm. and I think that people will be people, you know, and we've always liked the joys of life. So it would be really strange, as you say, Matthias, if they didn't use drums or their voices or maybe some bone flutes made of their enemies' uh, bones uh, or something like that. Yeah, I mean, it's it's the simplest thing in the world to just sing or even just to, to tap on something. Like, you've got a, you've got a drum. It might not be the best, but it's it seems like a very natural natural thing to do. You know, I, I can't... I'm, I'm a self-professed, not very good at singing, but when I'm alone, or sometimes when I'm, you know, working in the workshop with uh, with Eddie, then he has to put up with me singing because it just naturally, it just naturally happens. There you it go. Just, that, that should be like the the forest behind music is the the pure joy of it, and that takes us back to me saying before that everybody can learn to sing. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, he yeah. doesn't. He doesn't enjoy listening to me sing. <laughs> he just looks at me a bit funny every now and then oh my maybe you should move to throat singing then just scare him off <laughs> maybe yeah no but I, I think it is just such a such a, a natural thing that it seems silly to assume that it wouldn't have happened um Mateus, what i want to ask you is, do we do you find it in like the saga literature in the or in or at least maybe not like a a song but or at least reference to music or because i guess you know we have like parties i guess so you would assume that there is some yeah um i feel like there's got to be some references to singing in in the saga literature of course or even like Uh, dancing because you would assume that you would you wouldn't dance without isn't there something from lindisfarne uh, you know the poor monks when the Vikings came rowing in, they were throat singing and they got shit scared and started running. Is is that true or is it a myth? I I haven't heard that story. Um, I definitely haven't read it anywhere. So uh, so maybe it's a it's like a wandering story from somewhere. It might be. It might be. <laughs> well, welcome to my life. Just <laughs> bringing stuff up on here and just getting shut down. <laughs> Sorry, guys. <laughs> no, that's. That's what you're here for. <laughs> well, so I mean, the, the the saga literature is so like masculine and 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 about like you know the interactions between between like these warrior men, right? So 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 a lot of the focus when it comes to these kinds of um, uh, leisure, I guess you could call it, right? A lot of the focus is, is usually on on the scaldic poetry, and like somebody recited a scaldic poem, or there was somebody told this story, and so on. That's really what they focus on. Um, but would a scaldic poem not be sung? Would it just be? Would it we could, assume it's just recited as? But this is the this is the problem that we is have from sort of like the scholarly tradition of the, the, the 20th century. Um, and it's really the 20th century more than anything else. So, so before the 20th century, scholars of many things used to be 
uh, capable of different things, not just one thing, right? <laughs> but in the 20th century, like you get so specialized in, in scholarship that gradually um, we just become like those who like um, squiggly nerds sitting at a, at, at a desk, right? And, um, and that is actually, you could argue, in my opinion, at least, that that's a cultural loss. Because that means that there's a whole sort of like frame of reference that you don't necessarily have, right? Like, imagine a scholar who is researching what the Viking ships and uh, boat building and so on, who's never been on a Viking ship, right? Who's never tried building uh, at least part of a Viking ship. Um, those people do exist. So that's that's a, that's a problem, right? And in that sense, uh, what what we're seeing in the 20th century, and when it comes to poetry, is uh, that the cultural conceptions of what poetry is in the 20th century has an influence on how scholars think about poetry in in the saga literature and pre-Christian times and so on, just like with anything else. And that definitely uh, sort of like takes takes a, uh, an element out of it and especially like the imagination to 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 think oh wait maybe maybe they actually maybe there was some kind of like drum beat or music that uh, came along with this right and that's sort of like thankfully what has been happening th through the last like 30 years now in especially in Scandinavia is that um, scholarship and experimental archaeology in different ways have been coming together and and like figuring out more and more stuff and that's actually made i think everybody a lot smarter mm -hmm. and i i really hope that i don't have any colleagues out there nowadays who would say that uh that there's no chance that music was involved with scaldic uh, recitation <laughs> i mean again i'm not a musical genius of any kind so i don't know how it would happen but i'm pretty sure that it did well, imagine the Viking Age being a whole musical. That would be fun. <laughs> I would is, be, yes. <laughs> it would be so fabulous. Yeah, it fabulous. Just... That's, oh, I love that word. <laughs> I, I just got to thinking about um, Seider and, and Goldring. Have you guys heard about Goldring? What, what is Gold? gold? No, do, you, do you want to try to pronounce it? Goldring? Goldring. Um, it's, it's a way of... Um, performing magic with your voice really because you're calling out to the gods uh, as I've understood it and when I sing at least I keep that in the back of my mind as well um, so uh, as far as I've understood uh, Goldring sounds a lot like when you're singing rhythmically uh, it's a technique called belting that many uh, rock singers use you can sing without a microphone in that way really um, so yeah, maybe that be, um, could be some sort of uh, evidence for uh, the voice being used in a musical way, in a in a ritualistic way as well. Absolutely. I mean, uh, yeah, the, the term Galdra is uh, is you know widely used in the literature um, as as a reference to some kind of like song magic whatever that actually sounded like is is hard to 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 really say but you know you can look at at uh poems like Halvamau, the sayings of the high one as an example where there's there's portions of that poem that definitely look like they would have been classified as as um uh, uh galdra 
Um, of course, what happens in the 1500s is that the term Galdra becomes conflated with like just like sort of like a broad description of like witchcraft. Uh, so, so there's like there's, there are some terminological issues here and there where we're not entirely sure exactly if it always uh, uh, pertains to like song magic alone. But, but the word itself, at least in its etymology, has to do with singing and making sound in general. And uh, I mean, you, we also have um, at least in modern Danish, we have the the word gale, which is like to to, to like sort of like just make some crazy noise the norwegian word would be gaula yeah yeah exactly yeah so so yeah, so the, these words still exist in different ways and and have a similar connotations i think um and yeah uh, um I, I i think that that's that's definitely a, 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 an evidence of like um some kind of singing magic that was widespread we also have you know, Adam of Bremen, when he describes the temple in Uppsala, um, he's writing in 1070. And that's when presumably that temple is still in existence. Um, he's never been there himself. He's just gotten all his information from Svein Austerlidsson, the Danish king, um, that he visited for about 10 years uh, before. And, and he's telling us that in the temple, they were singing these songs uh, in honor of Freyr. But um, but they're so lewd that he doesn't want to uh, reproduce them. <laughs> so. I love that. <laughs> right. That's that's brilliant. That's great. Well, he's also sitting there. He's like, yeah, and and Freya has a giant penis. <laughs> like that, that's also how he describes him. <laughs> You know, just uh, cider and, and Goldring in general, or at least cider, has a lot of sexual elements as well that I think scared the Christians uh, because Christianity is, it has a lot to do with shame. And I don't think that was as prominent prudish. in Norse culture. Yeah, prudish, boring. That's it, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I can imagine that the pre-Christian cultures weren't, embarrassed by sex especially in the way that we are in modern times as well i yeah. think that it's become very much a, a shameful thing that should be behind closed doors and especially even with like nudity whereas it probably wasn't the same then it wasn't it was just something you spoke about openly and well yeah when songs about worshiping like gods and goddesses like frey and freya well obviously you don't have a big issue with it Mm -hmm. I would think at least. This is just my intuition talking here. And they also had a lot of phallic symbols that they worshipped or just gathered around in the guild hall and danced around. I don't know. I'm just <laughs> imagining a pretty Some good. Some of them are still out there. You know, in the Norwegian and Swedish countryside, you can find phallic rocks. Like they're carved as giant penises <laughs> standing around. Yeah. And in a modern context, you, you have the pride parade. There's lots of phallic symbols going about mm -hmm. there. So people will be people. A penis is always funny, no matter what, no matter what, no matter what age. It's if you leave if you leave a man alone long enough, whether there's a piece of wood, a stone, a pen and pencil, a dick is getting made or drawn. That's just <laughs> that's just one of the certainties of life. So now you're really actually telling us what you do when you're like carving horns, like you're standing oh, there. Sometimes you might think I'm making notes on the podcast, but I'm just drawing little penises. 
it's just, <laughs> it's just, it's just what happens. It's just one of those things, I guess. People were just—they've uh, been making jokes about these things ever since the Viking Age. I, I believe that a lot of the the rune stones, or not the rune stones, but the the rune, um, oh, what's it called? The the, uh, rune stakes. Yes, thank you. The rune stakes—they're kind of pervy, aren't they? <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No, there's there are several, you know, very lewd inscriptions, like <laughs> that. We that happens do an episode. all the time. We should do an episode just going through the rune stakes. Yeah, we should. <laughs> just just reading. I think that would be would be good fun. Um, I think like a lot of the time as well, like phallic symbols is to do with coming of like manhood as well. Cause I know when I did the stone lifting in Scotland, there was one that was penis shaped. I mean, it wasn't they they said it did personally. I didn't really did you lift a giant dick? Is I that apparently so, yeah. Just a hundred and thirty <laughs> kilo dick. It didn't look like one when I got there, but apparently you know, in the description of it, it was meant to, and it was this traditional stone that, you know, it was lifted by the clans of a coming of age for the for the young men. So that's also, I guess, a symbol of that. The use. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, let's, let's talk about rituals. Let's move away mm-hmm. from, from the penises. There's um, plenty of penises in rituals too. I mean, yeah, I was going to say over. that. You're, no, you're you're not going to escape. Okay. I'm sorry. But Let's... but but <laughs> speaking of which, I mean, I believe that the the goddess Freya has been kind of um, dumbed down uh, when the tales have been told on, uh, and I think that has something to do with the Christianization of Norway. <laughs> yeah. I don't care for but i think everybody knows that uh but she's often described as just this bimbo in some kind of way um just beautiful and yeah it's goddess of fertility woo but there's so much more to freya there's so many dimensions to her she kind of she picks half of the warriors uh when they when they fall and and odin picks the other half so she's also the goddess of war and death. And I also believe, this is controversial, by the way, but I believe that she is actually the same goddess as Frigg, uh, who's known for being Odin's wife. Because you, you have a lot of literature uh, describing uh, Frigg as being married to, or, or I mean Freya, being married to someone called Ut, I believe. And that's not too far from Odin is it and he has like a lot of names many over 100 names and I think Freya might have had many names as well uh, and there's a book about this topic too that I, I can I recommend it please okay it's called Freya den store gudinne i Norden also um, it's called it's about Freya and uh, the great goddess of of uh, the north and it's written by a woman called Britmari Nestrom you know it yes yes uh, Britmari she's uh she's she's quite a um heavyweight in uh in the study of uh, old Nordic religion so yeah i'm very well familiar with it <laughs> <laughs> okay, good, good. So, so uh, well, I, I've just always thought this to myself because I had this kind of intuitive way about going about my my uh, my personal pursuit for being more rooted with my cultural heritage, and sometimes it just gets really overwhelming for me whenever I read the Eddas or whatever it might be, and I just find something that resonates with what I've kind of always known within myself. I 
uh, I get chills and it's too much for me. I have to put the book down and go for a walk just to ground myself because it kind of reminds me uh, of past lives, really. So I just have to take a break from that and remind myself that I'm living in this time and age. And, woof, you know, it just gets intense. <laughs> so, Matthias, what do you, I've got to ask you what you think about that, the, the idea that they're one and the same. So this is a old theory. I think it goes all the way back to Jakob Grimm. Uh, back in 1835-ish, when he's writing what in English is called Teutonic mythology, right? Uh, Deutsche Mythologie. Um, he he proposes this, and and there there are some there are some uh, important uh, elements to crossovers, right? As as you uh, saw, as you mentioned, we have this like mention several places that Freya was married to this person named Oder and he um uh, he like went on his travels and then she like wept because he left and then she followed him along and and that's how she got all these different names because she was going to different places and and taking on different names um and and Oder as a uh, uh, uh the, the 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 name itself is is the same stem as as the 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 root in in Odin um presumably at least and and so so basically um what we're dealing with is probably the same character um that would be sort of like the key element that that informs us that they are the same uh figure in in the mythology um, now you can dig into the uh, etymology of uh, the, the 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 names Frick and Freya, and um, then start discussing uh, what uh, what is like. Uh, do, do they actually originate in the, st the same stem, or or are they um, like how are they related in different ways? Uh, Freya means lady in 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 old uh, old norse so like lady of distinction we were told this by uh Snarri. he he says uh, the, the the word fruver comes from that and that's you know modern scandinavian fruver um so uh, so that's like a, a a an honorable lady i guess is is the best translation for that word um uh, the the root of both these names, as far as I remember, um, and haven't haven't looked it up for a while, but uh, that is that is a, a word, a Proto-Germanic word that um, is also has produced the word "free," right, and um, uh, relates to being loved. So there is something something to be said for that theory, um, and it's not impossible. And so you, then you of course have to ask yourself like why why are, are these characters then split in Nordic mythology like what happens why why do we have a Frigg over here and a Freya over there Freya definitely has a lot more um, descriptions and and plays a bigger role actually in in Nordic mythology in the texts that we have available than Frigg does um, uh, there there's Neither of them actually play particularly big roles, unfortunately. Like we don't have like good stories where Freya is the protagonist or something like that. Um, we have uh, Frigg. She is most active in the story about Baldur's death, 
that's where we see her doing things and then she, there's also a the the pre um a preamble uh prose preamble to the poem Vatrunismaul where Frigg has this like uh, uh back and forth with Odin like uh, uh Odin is like I want to go test uh, this giant's knowledge and she's like oh no don't go he's dangerous and and then he's like I'm going to do it anyway and then she's like okay bye um uh, and then we have also the situation in Grimnismal the prose uh, uh preamble there where um, a um, where we have like Frigg and Odin, they are uh, basically battling each other through these uh, two princes, right? They're they're racing them to uh, and then sending them out um, uh, into the world. After that, so there's something. Uh, so, so that that's really her roles, right? And then we have Freya. She's well described in in the mythology in Snorrisetta. He gives us a, 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 a good amount of details. Um, she's only really active though in 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 a few stories. She's in uh, Thrymskvida, the story where Thor's hammer is, be, uh, is stolen by the giant Thrymer. Uh, Thrymer wants Freya in, uh, in marriage um, in return for giving back the hammer. Um, that's not happening. That's why Thor has to go dressed as Freya instead. Then. And and that's that's a that's an interesting thing because that's really the role that she often plays in the mythology. We see that in other stories as well that the giants or a giant wants Freya um, as sort of like an object that he can take with him. Like so, Kronir, for instance, um, has invaded Ausgarder, and and he's like getting drunk. And he then once he gets really drunk, he's like, yeah, you know what? I'm gonna like bury this place under the ground we're gonna like take Sif and Freya with me and like uh all those kinds of things right and that's when Thor then shows up and it's like no I'm gonna kick your ass um so so there there are those um um elements there which is quite interesting too because what this means is that uh, Freya then plays that role of being sort of a uh deity that or a figure that must be protected from from being taken by the Yotnar, just like the sun and the moon as well, you know, and and like these precious items that the gods are in control over. Um, and and then you have the other side of Freya as well, where she is accused of witchcraft and and promiscuity, like Shalti uh, Skekjason, according to Eastlanding a book, the Book of Icelanders, he says. Oh, uh, uh, he's he was he was outlawed for having called Freya a bitch um, in Iceland so back in pagan times. So so that's that's interesting because there you have a, a Christian. He was uh, presumably Christian who sort of like uh, um, defamed her, in, in, just like we see in um, you know in 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 the Mediterranean area with uh, deities like Aphrodite, Venus. Diana and so on. I wondered why why men in general, like now I'm speaking more widely, uh, are so threatened by females' sexuality. Like we can we can show a man's nipple in Instagram, but you can't show a woman's nipple. Like if we photoshopped Varig's nipple onto my breast, I could put that image out. <laughs> I, never even, I, I never even thought of it like that. 
Well, that's reality for you now. And and, and I think, um, I'm sorry that I interrupted you, but is okay. there a way that uh, there might have been some re, um, rewritings of Freya due to the Christian view of her, like the Madonna complex in some way? Maybe that's also a reason why they split Freya into both Frigg and Freya. So you have like this housely wife-like figure of Frigg, and then you have Freya, like the the slut, so to speak. Yeah, no, absolutely, one hundred percent. That that that's definitely happening in the material. You're seeing this very Christian perspective on it, where there's also that story of how she like sleeps with like four dwarfs so that she can get Brisingamain, the uh, the the golden uh, necklace yeah. that she wants, right? And it's uh, these there are similar types of stories elsewhere in other contexts like in Saxo's history of the Danes you see similar stories they're obviously based off of the same complex like of 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 tales that that surround Freya we have the story of Gevion as well who plows that piece of land out of Sweden that then becomes Zealand in Denmark um she's called a witch a witch is a compliment <laughs> well yeah <laughs> and that's that's really the that's really the interesting thing right there's a very distinct christian perspective on it that mm. is like seeped into the material and is then sort of like uh, uh painting uh these female deities in a certain light whenever they're mentioned yeah just demonizing them or yeah. just undermining their importantness yeah by using their sexuality and i think it's just dumb <laughs> very I much agree. <laughs> I, but like you said some things some things never change and you still get that that's just it uh what was it really like in the viking age and that's what's so interesting we really don't know because the christians burned our buildings and just offering sites were just plowed down and they put churches there instead uh, and the wooden figures were probably burned too uh, Absolutely, no. That that uh, that definitely happened. We have uh, archaeological evidence of uh, of such things happening to several what what is like typically called central sites in archaeology, <laughs> not temples, because archaeologists want to be a little careful with that word sometimes. Um, but yeah, it's it's very obvious. Like Up Okra in uh, what is now southern Sweden in 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 Skåne, um, just south of Lund. Uh, the the old um, cathedral town, right? Of it started out by being basically the archbishopric of all of Scandinavia um, uh, for for a brief period. Then we see other archbishoprics, but just south of there, there was a huge temple um, that was burnt around, like in the first half of the the year uh, that, that that yeah, in the first half of the thousands, approximately. Um, so, so that's a good example of like decidedly you know getting rid of the that pre-christian past in different ways um Mateus, before yeah. we before we get too far away from freya and frigga i wanted to ask do we do we ever get them in the same room because i feel like that's a, a way to tell whether they are the same person or not like do we ever get them in a story together where both of them are described in the same place at the same time or is it always like one or the other? Rick and Freya? Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm there, I'm is... You, <laughs> there is a um, Lorcasana, right? Uh, Loki's quarrel where Loki has kicked the door into the party 
and then he starts like going nuts and and um uh talking shit about everybody frig and freya are are both present uh in the room as far as i remember um but otherwise not so much like <laughs> that's, that's why i was just wondering whether it was maybe a mistranslation or different tellings or like different names for the same person but and so you know this I mean. is the interesting. This is this is the interesting thing. Um, so, uh, so as you were also pointing out earlier that like Odin has like all of these names, right? And um, if you start looking into the, those names, there are definitely some of them that doesn't do not fit Odin at all. And the same like Freya has a bunch of names. Uh, several gods actually have a bunch of names. Thor also has at least like five or seven i can't remember exactly but 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 m- multiple names and so what this really what this tells me as a scholar of this material is that there's probably a situation where um where, where basically um these these figures of the mythology they function as sort of like black holes that like uh draw things to them right so it, when it comes to like names and stories as well so this is well known in 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 um, in the scholarship of like storytelling in general and memory, especially if uh, if we're talking about oral memory, you have a hero and they they gain uh, sort of like um, uh, what do you call it? They they, they gain um, it, that's like the, the the one that people keep telling stories about, and then slowly they attract other stories. And also other names, and that is really what it looks like in, in Nordic mythology in general. Like like Odin, because he, at the point where Snorri is writing down in the twelve hundreds, like he is the the known figure, and so Snorri is probably like, oh yeah, we'll just like attach this name to him as well and that name and so on. Or somebody before him could have also have done it, right? So. This might sound like a silly idea, which isn't anything new for me, I guess. Um, do you think it's possible that maybe somebody was sat around the fire retelling one of these heroic stories and thought, I'm just going to put my own name in there because I want to sound really oh, yeah. awesome. And then oh. and then he just lives on with a story for people that, that tell it and it spreads. And then here we go. There's another name attached to... You know what? That is exactly how Snorri Sturluson tells us that people became pagan in Scandinavia in the first place. <laughs> a bunch of a dudes sitting around telling stories, and then they're like, "Well, I'm actually Odin." <laughs> I mean, if, 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 there's no Google; people can't fact check no. it, so there's no reason why people. I bet everybody lied. I bet everybody was like, "Yeah, I went out and just killed a bear." A wolf came along and took the body. Uh, sorry, like yeah. you could make this. You could make shit up. Like, oh yeah, I went on a, a walk. There was a dragon. But oh yeah, yes. there's no my myheritage.com or myvikingheritage.com. That's it. <laughs> no, exactly. So I feel like there must be so much. It must be so hard as a scholar to sift through the bullshit that has slipped through. Because at the end of the day, we are talking about people who especially will have bragged for notoriety. People do it today. You know, it's no different than the Instagram of today of people taking pictures at certain angles to make it look good or borrowing a watch to take a picture with it as a, as a, a big flex to show how, 
how much money they have, but they really, they don't. It's not different. It's just, it will have happened back then, you know. They will have borrowed something or shown off or lied about it. And then that could just easily trickle through and somehow two idiots end up talking about it on a podcast. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. No, that that is definitely a possibility. It has definitely happened. Certainly. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah, we, we can't get around that. <laughs> um, but of course, like, we have to at least assume that a, a core element of this literature is, is you know, valid pre-Christian material that people believed in. Um, are, like, as scholars, the, the main thing that we worry about is, like, how much did Snorri Sturluson fuck up? That's what we're always worried about. <laughs> Oh, I think I think you made up a lot of things. We we actually had a teacher. I remember when when I was in I don't remember the English word for it, but when I was a teenager, I had this really epic teacher, and she taught us a lot of stories from the Eddas. And I was <laughs> the only one interested in it because back then, you know, we didn't have Vikings, <laughs> so uh, you actually had to dig up stuff yourself to become interested. And she taught us about this, and she said, "Ah, oh, Snorri." He's, he was so full of shit when they came for him he's, he was a scared uh, scared uh, man who just hid in the corner himself so here he was telling all these great tales about these guys but well he, he just hid, uh, he hid away like a, like a scarecrow <laughs> no, not scarecrow what do you call it like a coward yes, yes that's the word no he, he very much did um, <laughs> him killed uh, in his basement <laughs> trying to escape <laughs> that's what my teacher said as well so he, he wrote all this heroic stuff down and one can only wonder is that what he wanted for himself but well maybe he had some complexes I don't know <laughs> I mean, he was he was a really bad politician that, that's <laughs> one thing that we know <laughs> I mean we're talking about a guy who who like throughout his life just failed every bluff that he tried like and and like i mean his son got uh his balls cut off by his uncle i think was <laughs> something like that like yeah no it's it, it was it's not fucked up <laughs> a lot <laughs> <laughs> i think i think that's a good point to remember that a lot of the stuff i think so many people take it as gospel especially when you're just starting out in this this world it's super confusing so it's really easy to go okay there's this book there's the poetic editor and the the prose editor there's these two books let's i'm going to read them and that's that's true it, it's factual and and kind of go down the avenue because it is so much easier than just kind of been accepting that we don't know so much and figuring out by the time you've read it you probably know less than when you when you started so i think it's fair to remember that not everything in these is a hundred percent accurate. A lot of it is guesswork and figuring out, and we can lean one way based on what we know, but it doesn't mean that one hundred percent that that is exactly how it is. Um, so you just kind of have to keep that in the back of your mind, I guess. Oh yeah, when it when it just comes to the old Norse religion, how to interpret that? 
for me, it's just been um, connecting with with myself and again my intuition and uh, just the collective consciousness. Um, that's actually a thing, by the way. Um, and just trying to figure out what, how does it resonate with me, and how can how can I connect with the past, and how can I mm-hmm. connect with the roots, um, and and how to perform cider today. You know, it's just it's nothing written down not that I know at least about it. So I get a lot of questions frequently on my Instagram from, from people wanting to learn how to perform the art of Saidra or just how to do a ritual. And it's just kind of hard to guide people on that because um, first, first and foremost, I keep very private about my own rituals uh, mm-hmm. we have the rituals from the viking age uh, like uh, blutes that we know of that they held in the gilde halls and it was kind of like a feast and an offering to the gods or you can have like ute sitting which is basically just sitting your ass down on a viking grave and meditating and we know that the vulvas uh, the volver uh, did it um so so you have stuff like that that everyone can do and that's pretty easy to get into but then again how to work with your own energies and and how to perform maybe shamanism uh, that's not easy to to just describe to people in a simple message on instagram it just feels wrong to me mm-hmm. to do that yeah. oh, I, I, uh, before before we get down let's, let's try and kind of get some explanations what is see see the see the i'm horrible with well it's kind of um i think it's a reciting of magical texts through song and dance uh, or it's uh, the the art of magic uh we hear about it uh, in the sagas freya taught it to odin so she actually taught a lot of magic to odin uh taught him how to do it so i guess there's many ways to do it um but it has a lot to do with just getting into to the magic uh yeah basically Matthias, what i guess what do we know about how much like the like quote unquote, the vikings or people in town would have believed in magic i guess because it's now it like in modern times it sounds so weird i guess because it's it, it's so far removed now um so yeah do we know whether they they would have because I, I guess the one that, that comes to mind is you always see when people talk about runes you get a lot of people saying you know the runes weren't they were magic they were they're just a writing source so then you get that kind of separation so 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 with the rune stuff that that's like scholars that really want to just like try to play down any any like any tendency to think of runes as like agents of magic because you know it's not even 10 percent of the runic inscriptions that have magic or ritual contexts most of them are just like writing um but that doesn't mean that the runes didn't have any context for magic they definitely did um we we have multiple edic poems for instance that mention runes in context of magic one the first thing that we need to realize here is that when it comes to the viking age and also actually a lot of like uh, medieval christianity there's not a big distinction between magic and religion like these two things come together 
So that's the first thing that, uh, that we need to uh, realize. We also need to realize that there is no basic difference between somebody in the 900s doing Seder to divine whether or not the famine is going to end and a bunch of Christians gathering on a beach in Florida trying to pay, pray away a hurricane because that shit happens. Just, just keep that in mind nowadays. That's, a, that's yeah. a very good point. Or even just the average person sitting down and praying, exactly. I guess you could argue is a form of is a form of magic because it you, is. Because the basic the basic idea of magic is that through this action, I can manipulate the world around me in one way or another, right? So I uh, I can I can say a prayer, and that the idea is that that prayer is like heard by God. And then God changes something, right? I can like stand with one leg in uh, an ancient grave and swing a dead cat over my head and draw blood from my t- uh, under my tongue at the uh, full moonlight and uh, like write some scribbles on on a piece of paper, and that's also magic because I think that that has some uh, uh, effect on the world. That's how that's how this works, right? That's how we as humans think and. We all humans think like this. All, uh, all humans have the capacity to think like this. Some allow themselves to do it. Some uh, don't allow themselves to do it. But like, it's the same as like the, the 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 football fan who has to wear the same damn shirt every time. <laughs> I was so just that thinking that. Yeah. yeah, like I don't I don't believe in magic, but I've got lucky pants. They, and it's like that's the same thing. You do believe in magic. <laughs> some some, uh, some scientific evidence. Uh, just hear me out on this uh, from from the psychology. Uh, when you use imagination or visual visualization, um, if you've been there in your mind, you can go there in your body. So uh, whenever athletes run a race uh, in their heads, they're activating the motor cortex in their mm-hmm. brains. And when you do this, it's easier for you to kind of get there in the body later. There's a lot of studies on this. So you could, you could go as far as to say that's some sort of magic, I guess. Yeah, and see, Absolutely. This, is, this is actually quite important because uh, we know uh, psychologically and also in terms of like evolution that uh, religion and magical thinking is, is a key component to our species survival. Like this is like the uh, those rituals that the hunters did before they went hunting were part of exactly what you were explaining right there. So uh, to to put yourself in that situation of actually catching the animal, so so it makes a lot of sense, and it's not like silly or 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 ridiculous or anything like that. It's actually like a very important function of our lives. Well, visualization um, is extremely important. I know firsthand from doing from things like jujitsu, you can. Mm-hmm. Do it once, twice, and then I like there were times where you know we do a move, you drill, you drill a particular a particular move, and then on a night time I would just think about it over and over and visualize doing it. And the next time you do it, it is easier. But I think we do that naturally when we're asleep as well. Anyway, when you know when you go to sleep, you you run through the day's events over and over and try kind of take it apart and put it back together and look at it in different ways and. And usually you can see things that that's, I think that's why usually when you've got a problem and you fall asleep and you wake up in the morning, you it see, suddenly it seems clear. And it's not because you've just got smarter. It's because your brain's working on a nighttime. It's still figuring it out and, and trying to do the job. 
yeah, yeah. the brain is washing itself, so to speak. You need yeah. sleep. It's very important. And we have a lot of information about that in Hovamol as well. So basically it says that you get you just get dumber if you if you lose your sleep. You you don't solve your problems by staying up all night, rethinking it over and over again. Sometimes you just need to step away and look at the canvas from a distance and then the painting becomes clear. Yes. No, that's true. And yeah, so so going to like the, the descriptions that we have of like Seder as a ritual in, in the literature, right? The the prime text is uh, Eric the Red saga, where where we have this scene in in Greenland where um there's been a famine for a while and then uh, this vulva uh, called Thorbjörg uh, comes uh, to to the the town or whatever you want to call it the farmstead um and um what we see there is like very like, specific description of her clothing like i think she's like wearing um like gloves with that are lined with cat skin and like uh, what is it rabbit a, a rabbit um, skin cap. I, I can't remember which one it is. Like, but but there's like it's very it's very specific description of her clothing, and it, that that type of uh, clothing that she's wearing is also you know out of the ordinary. This is not normal uh, type of dress, and the description is then that they they make some kind of like elevated uh, uh, seating for her, a sort of like quote unquote throne. Um, it's called, I believe, a stutler in the story. And then she sits there, and then the women that are present are supposed to like, sing this song called the Vardlokur. It's uncertain what that word means, but it could mean something like uh, a, a song that entices the uh, the spirits, the guardians, or, or, or something like that. And what she then does is that she goes into some kind of trance, presumably, it's not really described, but that's what we assume. And then she sees uh, into the other world somehow. Maybe her spirit leaves her body. It's really, it's not well described what's happening right there, but but something like that. And then she comes back with the answer that uh, the famine is going to end. And um, it, we're told that she's treated with a lot of respect as well. So, so that's another important aspect of all of this. And we do have graves from the Viking Age that seem to suggest like a similar way of thinking. Um, there is that famous one from Fyrkat in Denmark um, from like the nine, I think it's, like, it's from the 970s or 80s. I can't really remember exactly. Um, and this woman was buried in quite fancy dress, like red and blue, which would be the most uh, uh, expensive colors. Uh, she had like a pouch with like all the the funky witch things like uh henbane and white lead and and like a owl's vomits and eye of newt like all of that stuff like i don't know if there was eye of newt in there but you know th those kind of like very macbeth then well that's the thing like that it is like there's like a mouse skeleton in there as, as far as i remember and so like these are special objects these are objects that that she would have used in her magical practice mm -hmm. and she also has a a rod uh staff um 
and and like we we see several examples of those kinds of graves uh from from uh, the viking age which of course suggests that these were uh women who had those powers they were considered uh authorities and capable of uh doing doing these uh, rituals and then question is what are the rituals themselves right this is what i just like referred is like the most uh the closest we get to an actual description of a ritual um we can go into like the etymology of the word seder just before we go down the route of the actual rituals what's the possibility that it was just like for exploitation because you know when you're in a desperate situation people believe in desperate things and in the same way of in my personal opinion of you would get uh psychics today who there's some psychics who made a hell of a lot of money out of preying on people's emotions in certain times and is it possible that that could be a situation as to why you would have like witches because they're given a solution to a problem that people are panicking about struggling about or again could it be like you say it's like a spectrum you have some maybe that were exploiting it and some some weren't but i feel like the way you described it's almost like a rock star of the of the times you know you're getting showered with you get showered with gifts you're getting put on a raised platform you are the center of attention and that's got to be very enticing for anybody if you can just sit there and go eh, sure. it's going to be all right i mean i think we have to assume that there's the whole range like from the charlatan to the very genuine person uh, the the people who believe in this like it's the same uh, go on instagram follow hashtags like witch or something like that or witchcraft and then you will see uh all kinds of people who are using that hashtag and very often lately i i have noticed that one of the hash uh, one of the people the, the types that use that hashtag are um prosperity blessing witches so basically what they do is like that there's a meme that says uh like this and get tenfold back or like this and get a bunch of money and that kind of shit and that that that's that's just that's bullshit right that's just charlatans right bullshit yeah yeah um, I, I agree that there has to have been a, a dimension, you know, mm-hmm. from Charlotte, yeah. like you said, uh, Matthias, and to the real deal. And we have a saying in Norwegian uh, that is trumma går, and that means that the, the drum beats on. And that what it actually means in when you try to translate it to English is that um, your reputation goes before you. So if you're good at what you do, people will recommend you onwards. And what these seers used to do, these uh, the vulvas or however you pronounce that word, is that they they would go into a trance-like state and they would uh, do some foretellings about what was going to happen at that particular farm where they traveled to. Uh, And I would imagine that if these prophecies weren't fulfilled, no one would recommend that witch onwards. Um, Yeah, just... Yeah, no, that's a really good point. I I think you're right about that. Um, That you could definitely also like lose your magic, right? and and yeah your um your reputation was at stake as well so if you did 
abuse your situation in one way or another or your position, then absolutely, I, I think that would also be part of the, so like dethroning uh, of people in, in different ways. And the Viking society was very much about honor and reputation. So, well, I would imagine that there were some pretty good witches back there then uh, who wouldn't do things for just likes on Instagram, for instance, <laughs> or likes on a rune stick or something. <laughs> likes on the rune, rune stick. <laughs> <laughs> so let's get into rituals. What rituals do we know of? Because this fascinates me. Like, what do we... Or do we know of any that really existed that, that come from the time that we know they did? So, I mean, as the one that I just described um, from, from Eric the Red Saga, that is like the prime description of the, the Seder ritual. Uh, as I said before, um, or I was about to say, was that the Seder as such, the etymology of the word seems to have to do with strings. Um, so so there's like a an element of like, maybe like stringing the world together or pulling strings from the world or or weaving is uh, of course something that has also been brought up like the idea that going back to these goddesses frig for instance weaving or uh, spinning uh threads the norns do spinning threads as well as as part of spinning uh threads of uh, fate that are then like weaving into like the, the world fabric that seems to have been at least an underlying idea in 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 some of these stories. Sometimes uh, it, it looks like that's what we encounter. The best version of this is Darradaljoth from uh, um, uh, which saga is that? Is it Nyaula? Damn! Why am I blanking on that? <laughs> it's probably Nyaula saga. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know nothing. I know nothing. <laughs> <laughs> So Daraljoth uh, means the um, uh, uh, the spear song, and this is uh, this ha yeah it is Nyal saga. I, I'm not a complete idiot. Um, <laughs> this is it's 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 a scholarly poem where these um, it's, uh, I think it's like three women are sitting in a dinkya. That's uh that's like these half buried houses. Um, and this um, this guy, this is bef before the uh, fateful battle um, in Ireland, um, which I'm also blanking on for one for some reason or other. Um, yeah, you're just embarrassing me now. Yeah, no, now, now I'm, yeah, I need to go, <laughs> go to bed. <laughs> the point is that that story um, uh, that is like uh, uh, being told about these witches weaving this or whatever they are, not near perhaps, is that they are weaving the, the fates of the battle. They're using uh, the entrails of, of humans. They're using heads as weights for the, uh, for the, uh, the, the weave and um, using uh, spears uh, and uh, uh, swords as well um, to keep them in place and so on. Like, so all the instruments for weaving are basically replaced with like human body parts and, um, and, and, like uh weaponry that's uh that's like a really heavy metal uh um poem right there um and uh, uh like that's that's one of these examples of like the idea of like weaving fate right because it it's about what's going to happen in the battle the next day 
Um, and and we see that in in different contexts, there's something uh, to that idea, and that's definitely tied in with the idea of like Seder and uh, quote unquote witchcraft changing, because it, it, this magic is always about changing the reality. It's uh, always about yeah. changing the outcome of something, changing your own psyche in some kind of way. Yeah, and that's how I use my magic, uh, and I actually. Buddy and I, we actually incorporate it into our music as well. Um, we're going to perform a ritual that he actually dreamt the other day uh, in order to get more connected with ourselves and in order to write the songs that we have within us. Right. So, yeah, that was kind of like uh, an offspooting in Norwegian. I don't know the English word, but that was kind of just me babbling away. I think it was quite on point, though. Like that, because that, what is happening, right, is that you guys you're you're using your magic to create awesome things out in the world, right? So that is right there. Um, yeah, that's what we're we're trying to do at least. Because uh, for me, this whole Viking Age thing, so to speak, it's not just some glorified hobby to me. It's the very essence of my being, so to speak. Yes, I'm mm-hmm. all about glam and 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 makeup and what have you not from the from the modern age but at the same time uh, there is a soul within me that just shrieks and wants to reconnect with the collective consciousness that is within us and wants to build a bridge between our cultural heritage and the modern day and what a good way to do it uh, through music in my opinion Mm -hmm. Uh Absolutely. Music transcends time. It transcends religion, language, everything. I think it, there is something very innate about it, about music. You know, you can listen to it and it just gives you certain feelings just from the music. It can energize you. It can depress you. It can, it can evoke fierce, you know, the songs that I can listen to and it'll just bring a tear to my eye. Not because I'm, I, it cannot be sad. And then within those three, four minutes of the song, I can just be upset. Or if I'm working out and a particular song comes on suddenly, when I was absolutely knackered, I've got a little bit more energy. There is something that's extremely deep about music that can really attach to us and push us. Even if you're not a big music listener, it's still everywhere, whether it's on adverts of things you're watching, in the background when you're going to a store, it's... It is everywhere. It would be a weird world not to have it. And it's a strange idea to think that Vikings just didn't have it. Yeah, well, I, I totally agree with you. Me too. I mean, the, like, I, I, would, I would go as far as saying I don't think humans could imagine a life without music. No. <laughs> it's just in general. It's, it's, it, seems... it feels like it's something that will have just been there since the beginning of time. Yeah. yeah. In some form or another, like say, it's ta- whether it's tapping your foot, anything, it's just one of those human qualities, I believe. Absolutely. And I think it's a great way of processing things that have happened to you uh, or that you just want to um, want to make happen. Mm-hmm. Good. Um, I want to ask about, about your rituals. If I don't know how, I know you said you like to keep some of them personal. Um, but I do, I wouldn't kind of know what a a normal ritual would be for you, or or like what what would it entail? Because yeah. I, it's a world that's so completely different to my own that it really interests me to to kind of know a little bit more about it. 
Mm-hmm. Well, I'm more than open to talk about it. Uh, I mean, uh, a normal ritual. I kind of have different layers layers of rituals. Um, some rituals are more like uh, everyday, like you know, like putting small altars around the house, changing mm-hmm. them up with the seasons. We have a lot of godlike uh, small statues in our house. I would say that's a pretty simple easy ritual to do (laughs) because whenever you put intent into something um, you can create some kind of energy around it and that's what I've done with the the interior of our home uh, because I'm very much into taxidermy and dead stuff in weird places you know skeletons everywhere and it can look kind of gory if you're not into it but I I find beauty in in dead things I'm sorry (laughs) that sounds really bad (laughs) no I think it depends on people's perspective on some people, I think, get quite sad about it and see death as yeah. something quite sad, whereas you can equally look at it on the other side and it's something that's beautiful and you're remembering. Like honouring the animal. Um... That's what. That's how I would view it, is you are honouring honoring the life, whereas I, 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 some people on the, are on the other side and kind of see it as a, almost disrespectful, I guess. But for me, it's, I don't think it is. No, I don't think it is either. And and they probably didn't think that in the Viking Age as well. Um, and especially if you can use the whole animal, you don't know, like the cow, for instance, you eat it, you drink from it, uh, and you can walk on it when it's dead. Because <laughs> you yeah. make a rug out of the, the skin. Um, so, so for me, it's more like honoring those kind of things. And taxidermy in itself is kind of like a dying art. So I buy a lot of secondhand taxidermy. Mm-hmm. But what I was speaking about is that the way I've uh, decorated our home uh, is in a way to, to make the energies flow through the rooms in a comfortable way. And I find that a lot of people who, who we invite into our home, they just don't want to leave. And I think that has a lot of, to do with the energy that we have created in our home. Um, so that's kind of like an everyday ritual to cleanse the room, um, to use some kind of sage or burning rustling. Um, I don't know the English word, but it's a common plant in, in Norway. Sage seems like something that's used in so many different yes cultures yes 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 like so, there must be something behind that why it's used all over in different cultures as a as a cleanser that must come from somewhere. yeah I, I, I think so too and and if you want um like a nordic nordic equivalent to the the sage you can burn uh um i don't know the english word for that either sadly but uh, yeah, there's some Nordic uh, versions of it. And I think it, like you said, um, we find it in many different cultures. Strong smells tend to scare things off, I think. So mm-hmm. maybe kind of uh, an attempt to scare off bad spirits and just, you know, get a fresh start. That's, that's the same with music, by the way. The music is also there to scare off bad spirits and yes. tell them this is, this is our space. Uh, rustling is uh, a type of heather. Um, and that's also one of the things that I like to use um, for uh, like burning uh, in rituals. Um, but it's really hard to get around here, <laughs> unfortunately. But sage grows in my backyard, so there's that. <laughs> Well, you should come visit. I can give you a bunch of it. <laughs> Wonderful. <laughs> I I was about to say. I imagine things smell really bad back then as well. So it would make sense to 
to, to you would want to mask things. It's not like modern times. Well, maybe your nose got used to bad smells, so you didn't really notice. Oh, yeah, definitely. As I was, as I was just gonna say, like they used garlic to 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 like improve their smell. So <laughs> yeah, I've, I've smelled some people that must get used to it. so before before we wrap up i i have to ask you about you on your instagram you have reincarnation not reenactment and i I, that's really intrigued me and i wanted to make sure we spoke about that yeah it says uh, reincarnated not reenacting um and it's um yeah what do you want to know I want to know what it means. Um, basically, uh, I'm not a reenactor. That's uh, pretty clear, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's one of the kind of critiques that has come back to me over and over again. But I've never claimed to be an, a reenactor. Um, I have very much respect for reenactors, that has to be said, and for researchers and archaeologists. Mm-hmm. But personal to me, uh, my interest for the Viking Age and my reason for doing my music and creating the clothes that I create um, has to do with my connection to, to the past, really, because I remember my past life from the Viking Age, or at least fragments of it, I believe, because mm-hmm. um, it has come to, to me in visions and in dreams. Uh, so for me, it, my connection to the Viking Age is more about my soul just speaking to my past life, so to speak. Uh, well, I, I mean, I, you, there's some of your clothing that you make on, on your Instagram and some of it is absolutely beautiful. You do a, a really good job. Are they, are they all for you or do you sell them on or gift them I am- away? Yeah, I'm, I'm currently working on uh, making a lot of items for my online shop. So oh. I've um, created all the items. I will sell them online on my blog. Mm-hmm. So I have, a, I have a plan for that. I just, oh. I am a, a perfectionist. Mm-hmm. I just want things to be, uh, I want to stand for whatever I create. When I send it off into the world, I want it to be perfect. Or nothing can be perfect. That's not possible. But there's there's nothing wrong with with that. Yeah, no, it's it's it can be draining, but at the same time, it's good fun because <laughs> oh, I keep pushing myself. Absolutely. Yeah. I just want to throw throw something in here. So, um, in in one of the edit poems, uh, this is the second poem of uh, Helgi Hundingspani. Um, there's uh, this is like this long epic about uh hero and you know tragic tragic death in the end all that stuff right the important thing is um uh um um what it, what it says about their death um in the end it says there was a belief in pagan times uh, which we now reckon as old wives tales because this is a christian who's writing the poem that people could be reincarnated. Uh, reincarnated. Helgi and Sigrun were thought to have been reborn. Um, he was called Helgi Hattingdamager, and she was called Kaura, uh, Halfton's daughter, as is told in the song of Kaura, and she was a Valkyrie. So there you go. Um, basically. I, I didn't know, actually. I thought that my belief in reincarnation had nothing 
no root in kind of like the writings or anything like that. Yeah, no, there's there's uh, there's some something to suggest this. There are two words that are being used. Uh, there's afterboring and endurboring. And I, I believe you can make a, a slight distinction between them. Like um, one is like uh, 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 basically um, a, uh, a, a it's, it's hard to actually explain in English, but um, uh, I think you would understand it from like in the Scandinavian context, like Ifta and Gen, right? Gen food uh, uh, as opposed to Ifta food. I think we can make that distinction in the Scandinavian languages still today, um, where where one might be sort of like a, a reincarnation in the in a similar way that that we know it from maybe like Hindu mythology and and, and those Eastern traditions, and and another one where where it is the traits of the person that 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 persist and and like are are reproduced through the the line uh the family line through through centuries um it seems like there's been like these two conceptions uh present at some point in, in scandinavia at least wow that's that's really cool i i had no idea <laughs> <laughs> well there you go <laughs> but what what Vodig and i do is that we we use um the energies that we have built up from from this life and and past lives because we have met each other in in a different life we believe and we use this uh, in our workings with the the rituals and in our workings with the music so we kind of tie our past lives and our present life together in the workings with creating the new albums that we're working on so it's going to be the new music that's coming up is going to be more ritualistic and maybe yeah, just basically more ritualistic. And that allows me to use my vocals in a more traditional way as well. So, mm-hmm. yeah. That's exciting. Ooh. When when the new music comes out, you and Varg will have to come on together. We would love to. And we will, uh, <laughs> we will talk about it. Of course, yeah, we would love to, definitely. No, this, is, this has been fun. I really enjoyed it. It's flown yeah. by. I think we're like an hour and a half so yeah it went by so fast (laughs) definitely definitely gone by quick thank you very much um if you got anything you want to shout out where people can listen to the music people can follow you you can buy your stuff Mm -hmm. yeah sure just um find me on instagram or find me on a rune stick (laughs) (laughs) i'm I'm seriously speaking though my instagram is at the viking queen uh, and there you can find links to to um, our band Volespo and uh, also the the other project Fjæderspor. Mm-hmm. Um, and I will keep you guys posted whenever I am going to send sell my clothes online. Do yeah, absolutely. Um, like I say, one thing I would quickly just like to mention when when I was searching for for you on Spotify earlier. Um, it was a little. It was a little difficult to find because you used the little accent on the O. Oh. Yeah. So I just want to make sure people who do go and look find it because I all because I think there is a, there's another band with two A's at the end. So I, I clicked on that first. I was like, no, this isn't right. So I I found I I I found I came across you, but I just wanted to clear it up for people that so they went to the right the right place. 
so if you want to find the right one on on instagram either you can click you can go to the viking queen and click in my bio and you will mm-hmm. find that instagram or you can search for Spa band like Spa, like the candle you know the famous candle yeah. <laughs> the same writing and then just band Spa mm-hmm. band uh so yeah i kind of i've used a difficult way of writing it uh on spotify but things aren't fun if they're easy right no no that's right (laughs) absolutely not like i said it's not a criticism i just wanted to make sure people found it if they were looking for anyone anybody anybody else getting your listens i'm very glad you mentioned it thank you (laughs) (laughs) i hope i cleared that up (laughs) matthias where can everybody find you you can always find me on Instagram. My profile is just my name, Matthias Nordvik. And uh, yeah, there I am, my ugly mug showing up <laughs> once in a while. <laughs> yeah, no, you post some good uh, nature pictures on there. Yeah, sometimes. <laughs> always, uh, I love <laughs> nature. I-, I do too on my Instagram sometimes. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. <laughs> um, okay, I'm going to go through our stuff. Everyone's probably tuned off by this point. But, you know, if you if you enjoy the show, please leave us a five-star rating and a positive review, particularly on iTunes. It really helps people find the show. Obviously, you can find us on Facebook and Instagram at the Nordic Mythology Podcast. Same for the website, just nordicmythologypodcast.com. You can pick up our T-shirts on there. And then if you want to support even further, patrons, brilliant, um, you get an extra episode now a week where me and Matthias sit down and critique the an episode from the Vikings TV show. We're working his way through the whole the whole nine, nine or seven series. Um, we're doing the second episode right after this. So if you follow us it's on gonna Patreon, be like a lifetime pursuit, this thing. Oh, it is. It is. <laughs> it's gonna be brilliant. So if you yeah, if you want to jump in on that, literally support us on any level on Patreon from the five pound up to the twenty pound level. You get access to watch all the shows live. Um, so you can sit in on the live chat with every episode we do, this and the, the watch long show as well. And I think that's that's about it. So yeah, yeah this is this has been wonderful. Thank you very much. It's been, yeah, thank been you. a lot of fun. Thank you guys. I, I really, really enjoyed it. And I'm looking forward to be back. You will yes. absolutely you just let me know when when the music is is coming out and we'll tie it up with the yeah. release. For sure. Awesome. Thank you very much.